thing, but that's okay. So, yeah, I do love you guys, but not every single one of you $75 worth. Um, I, I, I would give my life. All right, just kidding. Now, that's true, though. That's actually, okay. But, again, fall retreat, that Google document will be on the GroupMe. Now, if you fill out this document, okay, if you click on the link and you fill out the link, the sheet on there, they're expecting you to go. So don't fill it out unless you're like, I've got $75 and I'm going to go. Because you don't actually pay them. You pay us. And I wasn't pointing to Teeny or David. I was pointing to my wife uh, back there. It's okay. <laughs> you can pay Teeny if you want to. But he's Italian. And he's told me stories. He's told me lots of stories of some very shady things that happened in his family. Um, White collar. Okay, yeah, so it's white collar crime, so $75 isn't a big deal. <laughs> this is great. This is being recorded. Um, but that's okay. We're going to, so if you've been here the last few weeks, so four weeks ago we talked about emotional health. Um, the week after that, uh, my friend Nathan Cook came, and the week after that, which was last week, we talked about physical health. And so we're going to talk about spiritual health tonight because. Chi Alpha, we are Chi Alpha, whatever, if you come, we actually do believe in this idea of a, a holistic approach to the gospel. God doesn't just care about your spiritual side. He cares about your emotional side and your physical side as well. But we're going to talk about this tonight, this idea of spiritual health. Now, how many of you have issues with you, right? Yeah. <laughs> Awkward moments, okay? I am... I am kind of king when it comes to some awkward moments. Um, yeah, like, Bree and I probably wouldn't even be married unless my roommate from college was like, hey, let's go to a coffee shop, all of us together. And then we were the only two that showed up. Uh, like... <laughs> It is what it is. My name is Jeremiah, and I create awkward moments. Now, one of the best things about, like, The Office. Have, who, who's a fan of the TV series, The Office? Okay, one of the reasons that show does so well is because there are episodes. <laughs> Michael's Tots that make you cringe. <laughs> that it's If you've never watched it, just watch that episode. And you will, it's, it's weird because it's not real. Now, really quickly, I apologize if that just destroyed your whole world, but The Office isn't real. Uh, but if you watch the episode, it's almost like you want to take the remote and change the channel because of how awkward it gets. You've got these kids who are graduating high school who are thinking their college is going to be paid for, and instead they get batteries to a laptop. Okay, it's just weird. And you're just like, but that's not the only time that show is uncomfortable. It's just, it, it, that's why it does so well, because of these awkward moments. Now, I have created lots of awkward moments. In November, I have been married for 11 years to an amazing woman named Bree. Now, when I grew up, as, yeah, thank you. As I grew up, I was trained, I was taught uh, to respect not only the person I'm going to marry, but also to try and do my best to respect and honor their family as well. Uh, so what that means is I have to, I felt as though, um, maybe this sounds old school, but I wanted to ask her dad if I could marry her before I said, hey, 
yo, woman, spend the rest of your life with me, please. Um, yeah, that did not happen that way. <laughs> no. She thought I was faking at first. Anyway, I wanted to get married. I did. But I did not even know how to ask her dad if I could marry her. Here's the funny thing. I already knew his answer was yes. Like, he was like, dude, get her out of my house. <laughs> he was excited for me to finally actually do this, to get, I don't know why, because she's perfect, get her out of his house. And so at the time, her parents were actually living in her grandma's house because they were trying to sell their house in Georgia. It was this transition weird thing. And so she was at work, and I come over early. I think we're supposed to go out on a date that night or something. I don't know. Um, whatever. But I'm like, I've got to ask somehow. So I go in the house. I go downstairs. Her dad's just chilling in his recliner, and her mom is doing laundry, just standing there folding stuff, just watching some TV show. Don't know what it was. I am so good at awkward moments. I can create tension and be the only person that feels the tension. <laughs> That's it. And so I'm sitting there watching TV, and because I also grew up understanding that you don't talk, and I know you won't understand what I'm about to say, but you don't talk until there's a commercial break. Now, commercials are what these things are. Uh, they used to be called ads, um, but they're commercials, and instead of having a little button at the bottom of the screen that you can go, skip ad, um, you actually had to watch them. So. Uh, I know you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, so pretend you're watching a YouTube video. And then halfway through it stops and the ads pop up, but there's no skip ad button. <gasps> and so back in the day, what you would do is you would take your remote and you'd mute it. And then you just sit there awkwardly, like, in silence. It was wonderful. <laughs> and so it's, 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 it's commercial time. And in true dad fashion, he hit mute. It was great. And I was like, this is my time. And so with the calmness and the collectiveness of a hummingbird on crack cocaine, I very quickly and very loudly blurred out, can I marry your daughter? Now the best part about this is that her dad was reclined in a lazy boy and it, it became a catapult. Uh, for a 340-some-pound pound man. And boom! Sat up like, like that. Her mom? No, no, no. Her mom started laughing at me. Like, she didn't... I don't even know to this day if they even said yes. Because they were just laughing. Like, I, like, I was really thinking about this moment. I'm like, how do I share this? I honestly don't remember them saying, yeah, go ahead. They were just laughing at me. I really don't know. I'm going to have to ask her parents, like, hey, when this happened, because her mom's going to laugh at me again, uh, which is fine. But it was so awkward because I was just sitting there and we had this, this tension that was just... So we're going to talk about awkward moments and tension tonight, even in Scripture. It's awesome. So we're going to jump to Galatians chapter 2 and we're going to look at probably one of the more awkward conversations that goes on in scripture, something that creates tension. Now, if you're one of those people that has a lot of anxiety or you don't like tension or whatever else, this sermon is for you and you are going to hate it. It's wonderful. All right. <coughs> Work. Okay. Galatians 2, 11 through 15 says this. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had, opposed him, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. Already, this is awkward. Now, if you don't know who wrote Galatians, it's the prophet, or the prophet, it's, it's the apostle, whatever, Paul. So Paul is the one writing this. 
Can you imagine? Just for a moment, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Galatia, in Galatia about this. And it's very possible that Peter was their hero. But in the letter, he's like, oh, by the way, when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. <laughs> anyway, um, if you don't know what that is, Google image. Um, just, just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. Um, okay. But afterwards, <laughs> sorry, I apologize. Uh, but afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't even eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of the criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. It's already, you should already begin to feel the tension in the room of what's going on right now when these people are meeting. So Peter, who you should know, one of the 12 disciples, the only other human in history that we know of to walk on water besides Jesus. That's a big deal, okay? Uh, but walked with Jesus. This is Peter that we're talking about. And Paul is like, mm, hang on, what you're doing isn't okay. The best part is he goes on. All right, two of them, keep going. There we go. I said to Peter in front of the others, when you confront somebody... Are you not trained in our culture to be like, no, do it, do it privately. <laughs> Take that person and, hey, you offended me. Um, but Paul, Paul doesn't care about your culture. All right. Or mine, which is totally cool. It's totally fine that he doesn't care about it. But I said to Peter in front of the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like these Gentiles. Here's where it gets even more awkward. There's Gentiles in the room, y'all. Okay, this is uncomfortable. Like, why, Paul? Why are you doing this? Everybody feels awkward. You're like giving them a battery instead of tuition. It's weird. Like, Paul, why? In our current culture, confronting someone and having moments of tension are avoided at all costs. Are they not? Some of you are like, no, nah, I love tension. I create it all the time. <sighs> but the rest of you are like, ah, you know what? When it's a difficult conversation, when, it's, when there, it creates tension, I don't, I don't really want to mm, even have the conversation. So we're just going to pretend like it doesn't exist. Because <sighs> it's awkward. And we don't like being awkward. We don't like tension happening, so we're just going to avoid it. When you avoid these things, it's actually a detriment to you. The Atlantic, there is a free article, and I very much encourage all of you to read this article. It's called The Coddling of the American Mind. It's actually an article based off the book, The Coddling of the American Mind. It's a fantastic that's why I said article. Calm down. It's not a full book. The Coddling of the American Mind. You really should make it a point to read this. In this article, they go on to a psychological study 
uh, that actually shows that avoiding com- difficult conversation is actually damaging. Here's a direct quote. According to the most basic tenets of psychology, helping people with anxiety disorders avoid things that they fear is misguided. Basic, th- basic psychology says that if you are afraid of this, if, you, if something that causes you anxiety or something that causes tension in your life, if I am teaching you or training you to make sure that you avoid it, I'm actually doing you a disservice. And I'm making sure that that anxiety or that tension in your life not just stays where it is, but actually builds. That's, that shouldn't be your goal as a friend to somebody else. And it shouldn't be your friend's goals to help you avoid the things that cause tension. Now already you're like, I don't wanna cause tension. I don't wanna be part of this anymore. The doors are open, but please don't leave. Please stay uh, until we get through this. The Bible, um, now one thing I do need to confess to you all, this portion of scripture, Galatians chapter two, I have actually talked about this verse before, these verses before, and I've actually kind of used this as a parallel to racism. That's actually um, a mistranslation of what's going on here. There's actually, it's not racism. Yes, there are different ethnicities involved in this conversation in Galatians chapter two, but it's not racism. It's actually just a, it's a cultural thing because racism has nothing to do with your race or circumcision has nothing to do with your race. Glad we got that out there. All right. If you still don't know what that is, ask your roommate when you get back. Uh, <laughs> don't do it. All right. So when it comes to tension, when it comes to these awkward situations or even things that cause you anxiety, I have two questions that I need you to ask. Two questions that I need you to ask. Sorry, it is not microaggression, but we'll we'll skip that. But is it good? Is the tension good? What a weird question for you to ask. Is the tension that I'm feeling right now, the anxiety that I have, is it actually good? Now you are asking yourself, what in the world is good tension? Tension is not a solvable problem. It can only be defined as healthy or not. Therefore, good tension is healthy tension. A suspension bridge relies on tension. It is literally held together by cables that are pulling against each other that keep the bridge not only up, but it keeps it safe for people to cross over. Here's the point. When there is tension in your life, are you still safe for people? Is it still safe for people to be around you when there's tension in your life, when you're walking through anxieties? Because if we're looking at this idea of a bridge, a suspension bridge, you've got these, some of these things are huge, these massive cables that are wound together that are holding up thousands of tons of steel and cement It makes it safe for vehicles and people to walk over, to drive over, whatever else. But sometimes, at the very hint of tension in your life, you fall apart. And it's not safe for people to even be around you. Because whatever comes out of your mouth, however you act towards them, does not reflect Jesus. Some of you are like, I'm okay with that. You shouldn't be. If your goal is to reflect more of Jesus then we have to figure out how to deal with tension. Again, tension doesn't just go away. You don't get to make it go away. You have to balance it. Paul had no right 
to approach Peter in the way that he did. He did not. Paul used to martyr followers of Christ. Peter denied him, but that was his biggest, I guess, sin, if you will, as far as Scripture shows. Paul did not walk on water with Jesus, for th- or Paul did not walk with Jesus for three years. Peter did. Paul did not walk on water. Peter did. Paul did not make a dude. Okay, this is a true story. Paul made a dude fall asleep during one of his sermons. The dude fell out of the window and died. That's how boring Paul's messages were. Okay, yeah, Bible tells us that they prayed for him. He came back to life. The first time Peter stood up to give a message, the first time, 3,000 people gave their hearts to Christ. Okay, there's a, <laughs> can you not see how this is ridiculous that Paul would even think to call out Peter? But he does it because... Paul wants to. (laughs) What's really crazy of those 3,000 people that may have come to Christ that first day that Peter preached the gospel, it's very, very likely, it's very possible that some of those people in that crowd that gave their hearts to life, their, their hearts to Christ that day, Paul killed them. Paul had them imprisoned. It's highly likely. Now, I can't tell you, this is exactly what happened, because I don't know. It doesn't tell us that in Scripture or not. But it's very likely that a number of those 3,000 people were actually killed by Paul. Paul didn't really have a right to say the things that he said or do the things that he said or did to Peter unless, unless we're going to continue on in Galatians chapter 2. Tension that cannot be completely removed. It is not a problem to be fixed. It is a problem to resolve. Tension can only be resolved when it becomes balanced. Galatians 2, 16 through 21. This is, this is just a continuation of what exactly what we just read. This is following right after. He's still addressing Peter in this moment. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Christ Jesus. Not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ. And then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me, so I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives within me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. So Paul does go on, and he's not... Maybe it's easy to read that beginning portion of that script of that section of Galatians chapter two and think, wow, Paul's being a jerk. I don't think Paul was being a jerk. He kind of has a track record of that. If you study some of the things in the New Testament, it's like, man, this guy, this guy can be harsh. I don't think he was being harsh. I really think he was actually doing this out of a heart of saying, dude, we can't do this. We can't go back to the old system. Because the old system, all it does is it proves that you and I are sinners 
and cannot even approach God for any reason. And Paul says that's not how it works. Jesus died so that we could approach him. We don't have to do this physical mutilation of our bodies to prove that we love Jesus. <laughs> I, didn't, I wouldn't be up here today. I'm just, I'm just saying. That's not, that doesn't sound fun. So our next question that we have to ask about the tension that's going on is this. Is it godly? Is it godly tension? Is it good? And is it godly? How can tension be godly? This is really where we find healthy tension or health in tension. Things will happen in your life that you will not like. In fact, I can guarantee you that somebody is inside, let's just say somebody inside the church someday is going to do or say something that is going to offend you. It's going to happen. Maybe it's already happened, but it's going to happen. Tension has a funny way of feeling like you're being pulled in different directions. Because you are. Remember, there is no way to remove tension in our lives. The only thing you can do is balance it. This is a fantastic illustration of Christ on the cross. His arm stretched out. He's both good and godly. There is tension because in that moment, there was no way for you or I to approach God. Zero. And he becomes that bridge that is suspended, holding that tension so that you and I could have the honor and the privilege of coming even into a room like this tonight and you yourself saying, God, I'm a sinner. I need you. Because before the crucifixion, you couldn't do that. You had to find some doves and some whatever else and then go to the Jewish priest. And if you weren't Jewish, you had to convert to Judaism, which, sorry, fellas, that also involves circumcision. I can't imagine there being a whole lot of converts back then. Um, but whatever. Maybe a lot of girls. I don't know. Um, but dudes are like, man, I'm out. I'm good. But that was the only way. And even then, by the time you laid that sacrifice before the priest, you turn around and you go off your merry way. And before you get home, you've done something else that the Bible would call sin. And you have separated yourself from Christ all over again. But this tension that was created on the cross was both good and godly. It's this suspension bridge, if you will, that allows us safely to cross over and step into the presence of an almighty God without being completely struck down the moment we do. Because that's what should happen. My sin separates me from God. I cannot be in God's presence because of my sin. <laughs> But because Jesus lives in the tension and he can balance it, it allows me to do that. So if that is what Jesus is doing, if we are Christ followers, then we are supposed to do the same thing when it comes to tension or anxiety or whatever else it may be. These awkward moments that you may have. If tension is good... If tension is godly, it's called accountability. This is where it gets uncomfortable. Because even in this moment of Galatians chapter 2, this tension is good coming from Paul. It's even godly. 
It's actually Paul keeping Peter. Yes, somebody who would, we would see as a higher level than him. But he does it with goodness and he does it with godliness. And therefore, it's actually accountability. He's not saying, you idiot. How dare you do this? He's saying, dude, Peter, man, this is not the point of the gospel. When Jesus came and the words that he said and the things that he did, the reason he died on the cross is so that we don't have to walk through all this ridiculousness anymore to maybe, hopefully, be allowed in the presence of God. Is Jesus did this so that the tension now is actually balanced. So that we can come into a room like this. Or in Peter and Paul's case, that we can come together like this and we can have these conversations. Now, accountability. Accountability. Oof. That's a tough word. Because people often don't actually like accountability. Why? Because somebody's telling you you're wrong. Don't tell me I'm wrong. Nobody likes being told they're wrong. There's not a single person on the planet that's like, oh, I love it when people tell me I'm wrong. Oh, hooray. How wonderful is this? Accountability will always feel like tension when humility is not present. Accountability will always feel like tension. You will have always, the rest of your life, you will have anxiety when somebody approaches you and tells you you're wrong without humility. Now, really quickly, to really understand this statement, we have to reverse what we're thinking. This is not humility of the person coming to you to keep you accountable. This is the humility that you have when somebody who is lower than you or somebody who knows less than you coming to you saying, hey, you know what? That's not really what the Bible says. And you now get the choice of saying, you know what, man, I, I'm going to humble myself in this moment. And I'm going to allow this accountability to happen. That's actually what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. That's why Paul, throughout the New Testament, in almost every book that he writes, almost every letter he writes, he says something along the lines of, follow me as I follow Christ. Which says, hey, come be in my small group. (laughs) And then when I screw up, I am giving you the authority to say, hey, Paul, can we, can we talk about this for a moment? I mean, Paul, man, I know that you know the Bible way better than I do. You've told us that in a couple of your letters. So thanks, Paul. <laughs> you know the gospel better than I do. You know what the words of God are better than I do. But Paul, help me understand this. Help me understand like, is, is this really what the gospel is about in this particular circumstance? But that's what it means to say, follow me as I follow Christ. You are saying that every moment you say you are a Christian or a Christ follower. You are not saying, all right, other Christians can now keep me accountable. You are saying, okay, world, how does my life not reflect this? And when you tell me how, I'm going to humbly say, you know what, man, I'm so sorry. Or we're going to have a conversation. And he's like, well, actually, that's not what it says. But accountability will always feel like tension when humility is not present. Not humility in the person presenting accountability to you, but in you receiving the accountability. 
This is also in you trying to keep somebody else accountable. Just like there's a huge difference between why did you do it that way? And help me, can you help me understand why, why we did it that way? Or why you did it that way? It's the same words, but there's a very different attitude in even how those come out of our mouths. Jesus humbly went to the cross. Both good and godly. And made a balance in this tension between humanity and God. We could not be in his presence or anywhere even near him. Even the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies but once a year. And even then, there was a billion things he had to do before he was able to do that. I don't know the Old Testament that well to tell you exactly what he had to do. But he had to do a lot of stuff. And he only got to do it once a year. You get that privilege every time you come into this room and we stop for a moment and say, God is here. This becomes the Holy of Holies. This becomes the altar. God's presence is in this room. Because God, who is both good and godly, balanced this tension of our world. And if Jesus, if that's the sacrifice Jesus makes, why can't you make a small sacrifice and stop being so proud? Sorry. Why can't I make this small sacrifice and stop being so stinking proud. It will always feel cruel when it is not godly or good. Proverbs 3.34 says this. We have three verses and then we'll close up. Toward this, towards the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. How do you gain favor with God? You have to be humble. James 4, 6 says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Man, I need more grace in my life. 1 Peter 5, 6 says this, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you. This is very different from our culture that says, no, nah, you got to you got to network, and you got to get people to know you and like you, and you got to make sure that the world loves you, and you got to make sure that all these people like you so that you can get ahead in the world. That's not what it says in First Peter. It's like, nah, humble yourself, and then allow God. Allow God to do what God does, and he will exalt you at the proper time. Are you humble enough to allow God to do that, even if it means... Even if it means that you are never exalted until you, you're dead. You never earn the money that you think you should earn. You never gain the status that you think you should gain. You never have what you think you should have. If you've been paying attention at all through the last several weeks, every single sermon I've preached is about lordship. Humility. Humility. All humility is is saying, God, you are Lord of everything. Now this is, like I've, I've said many times, salvation, when we give our hearts to Christ, is both instantaneous and it's also progressive. You can't be more saved tomorrow than you are today. That's silly. You can't be more married a year after you were married than you were 
a year after you were married. I'm more married now. Nope, just still married. <laughs> this relationship is also progressive, which means that it changes. That you become more like God, the more we understand it requires our humility. We become more like God when we understand that we need to chill for a moment and allow him to do his good work. Verse 7 says this, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You may deal with anxiety. You may deal with tension. You may be, like me, fantastic at creating awkward moments. So good. But if you have anxiety in your life, if there's this tension that is going on, that is constantly going on, stop avoiding it. Find some people in your life that absolutely love God, not like him. You don't need people in your life that just like God or like, I like the idea of God. You, you don't need those people. You need people that love God, that will keep you accountable in a way that says, no, nah, we're going to figure out how to balance this tension because it's okay not to be okay. It's not okay to stay that way. We're going to balance this tension with both what is good and what is godly. That's why sometimes people get offended at this book. It is good and godly, but then it says, actually what you're doing is sin. And it's like, oh, then it must be wrong. Mm. Mm. <laughs> that was fantastic. All right, with that, with that, we'll close. If you want to stand with me, and we're going to pray.